Hello, world. Hey, world. Hello, world. Welcome to Hello, world. The future is female. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Hello, world. The future is female. Today, I'm joined by Nazila Fatih. She's an Iranian-Canadian author and former correspondent for the New York Times and has become an inspiration and icon for women globally by uncovering the true narrative of Iran and Iranian women. So thank you so much, Ms. Fatih, for taking the time to speak with me today. Of course, my pleasure. So getting right into your book, The Lonely War, it's an incredibly detailed and compelling account of the realities of Iran and how the history has really shaped the country's identity. So being that it's colored by your own experiences, what inspired you to become a journalist and write the book? And how do you know what you wanted to say? Well, it took many years to write the book. I wrote the book when I'd already worked about two decades as a reporter. I did not plan to write the book uh, when I became a reporter, and I stumbled upon uh, the job. I was a translator, Mm -hmm. I started out as translating for American reporters who were visiting Iran uh, for the first time since the revolution, and then gradually found my way to become a reporter myself. When they left the country, they didn't have anyone. Uh, in Iran to rely on and because I got to know them and I was in touch with them I started sending them memos and um, sort of got into the job uh, uh, learned from them and became a reporter and then I wrote the book about 20 years later after I had to leave Iran I was no longer able to cover Iran uh, from inside Iran Mm -hmm. Right. You mentioned leaving in, I think, 2009, right? Correct? Yes. So when you left and now kind of living on the side of freedom, how has that influenced your perspective on Iranian progress? And like you mentioned, how have you stayed connected to what's going on in the country? So I left in 2009, and that was also a very emotional time, very similar to what is happening right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, woman life freedom movement that is going on now. Uh, back then in 2009, a lot of the protesters who are now on the street uh, were, were toddlers or maybe mm-hmm. they weren't even born. Uh, at that time, people were protesting because they believed uh, President Ahmadinejad back then uh, had cheated and won the election. They believed them majority of the votes have gone to a different candidate and people came out and staged these massive uh, but very peaceful demonstrations demanding uh, for their votes to be counted and um, if uh, if you uh, remember or probably guess from what has happened since then uh, the, the regime cracked down on the protests violently I jailed many protesters and also killed me. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I wrote that book, or what inspired me to write that book was this very, very emotional uh, uprising. And I needed to analyze and see what led to it and what happened to it and whether it had died. Right. And in the book, I, I argue that, you know, that the 2009 uprising was the result of uh, dissent and frustration over a period of 30 years that had eventually avalanched in the 
in the form and shape of the 2009 protests. And I argued back then that that wasn't the end, that this anger that is simmering beneath the surface will re-emerge, and it will re-emerge larger, angrier, and uh, it will not go away. And so what I can tell you is that it, it has happened. Every couple of years, the, the dissent has resurfaced. People mm-hmm. are still frustrated. None of their demands have been um, answered uh, in the way that they want it to be. And we've, we are at a point that the majority of Iranian people do not want to see reform. They want to see a complete change within the Iranian establishment. Right. I think I was watching one of your interviews you had done when you talked about Iran, and um, I think it was notable that women have kind of been the face of Iran that makes it distinct from every other country. And now that there's there's this new revolution of like women life freedom, and it's uniquely driven by women, how do you see that role of women shaping the future of their country, and how can their voices be amplified, recognized, and even valued in supporting freedom as a whole globally? The Iranian revolution of 1979 uh, turned out to be a disaster. Mm -hmm. Uh, It became a burden for the entire population of the country. Uh, It basically reversed the progress that Iran had made uh, in the past century. Um, And they reversed the laws and uh, a lot of cultural practices to much something much more archaic than what Iran would have become. Mm-hmm. And the burden of this was on the shoulders of women. Women became the walking symbols of the Islamic revolution. Mm-hmm. From how they wore to what they did and uh, what they were allowed to do, what they could say, uh, they became the representatives of the Islamic Republic, uh, not by choice, by force. Uh, they had to uh, cover their hair, they had to wear an Islamic cloth, and that wasn't enough. They had to wear uh, the Islamic dress in a certain way and in a certain fashion so that they would represent the Islamic Republic the way the regime wanted it. So it's, it's very natural that they would be the, uh, the ones who are most angry and they want the biggest change in Islamic Republic. And that change has already started. It has started with women wanting more power, uh, women wanting to dress the way they want to. And these recent uh, protests were mostly focused on the dress code. Mm, right. Especially because I learned, you know, I think in Western media, we see like Iranian women characterized as this has always been restrictive and it's always been like that. But there was a time where women had some freedoms and had, you know, expression. So it's almost, you know, it's, it's going backwards, but now it's like a time where they're pivoting and, and I think the world is really seeing it now. Are there any notable women you wish you could have met that advocate for equality or women's rights in Iran? Well, you know, I think this is a movement that is led by the younger generation, a very, very young generation, but I like to call them the TikTok generation. <laughs> you know, these are kids who are very, very young teenagers, and it brings tears to my eyes to even think of those 12-year-olds, 14-year-olds who were killed uh, during these protests. Uh, But the truth of the matter is that these are people who are growing up um, 
you know, with watching the entire world having freedoms uh, that they don't have just with a click of a button on their uh, smartphones. Mm-hmm. You know, they go on uh, TikTok and see uh, kids their own age anywhere else in the world having very, very basic rights that they don't. And you know, the proximity of these scenes to them that is only on their phones. And they can also post uh, videos of their own lives, but it's very different than uh, the ones that others are posting. Just tells them that, you know, they have to bring the change themselves. So I really salute uh, this younger TikTok generation that came out on the streets and made such a sacrifice to Mm -hmm. get what they want. What do you think are the most significant obstacles facing this new um, movement as a whole in in the push for equality? Um, I think uh, the the Constitution and the the Civil Code of the Islamic Republic of Iran. Mm -hmm. Um, Iran's uh, legal code was rewritten after the revolution, changing all the rights that women had. Uh, And they they basically, Iranian women lost many of the rights that they are fighting for now. Um, The the headscarf, the mandatory headscarf is in Iran's civil code. It was added uh, a year or two after the revolution Hmm. uh, by by a president. And then it was approved uh, by parliament not unanimously, sarcastically, not the entire parliament was on the side of mandatory bailing. Mm. Um, then they also changed other rights that women had. For instance, women were banned from becoming lawyers. Uh, the value of their testimony in a court of law is equal to half of a max. Uh, rights that are really ridiculous at this time and age. Uh, Iranian women, just like women everywhere else in the world, are increasingly more educated than the men in society. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than half of university students are women. They work, they are doctors, they are engineers. Uh, they, they have studied and they are very accomplished people. And this younger generation cannot uh, understand why they should not have the same equal rights with men in Iranian society. So the laws have to change. Mm-hmm. Like when you were um, a journalist uh, reporting with the New York Times, were there any significant stories that you really had to go on a risk, um, but that to get the story, but you knew that it was really important? Oh, all the time, all the time. Um, when I started out, uh, there were topics that uh, there were headlines I wasn't able to write at all. Uh, not just me, many other reporters, but we pushed those boundaries. We we covered them cautiously and wrote about them and gradually pushed these boundaries further back. Uh, These topics changed over time, Uh, but gradually we started writing about a much wider uh, topic that, for instance, we were able to write in the early 1990s. And this wasn't true just about me. This was very much true about even local reporters and Iranian newspapers. Uh, They also pushed the boundaries. And uh, even if you look at the newspapers in Iran right now, 
you will you will be surprised about the topics that they write. The argument and the discussions are much more livelier than you would imagine. Uh, they discuss, I mean, uh, the, the power of the supreme leader uh, in an Iranian newspaper. What else do you want them to talk about? Right. Did you? What obligation did you feel to almost report entirely what was going on without the fear of, um, you know, ultimately like a life? Life of the like, one of the people. Right. I would. So I never wanted to put anyone's life in danger. If I had to use their name, uh, I I would use it in a way that they wouldn't be identified. If their life would have been in danger, I never wanted to. Uh, I had two principles. One was not to complicate things for people I was writing about. And secondly, was to be able to continue to work. I didn't want to write a story that would have risked my working in Iran because being on the ground and reporting from inside Iran was much more valuable uh, than Mm -hmm. being outside the country. So I was very cautious to protect uh, the people I was writing about and also protect my position so that I could say. Right. Was there like a line you couldn't cross from your perspective in order to keep your job writing inside of Iran? Yes, there were many lines, of course. Uh, there were many red lines. Uh, if I was writing a criticism about the supreme leader, I couldn't write that. I couldn't be the one who was saying it. Uh, there were certain ways that I conveyed the criticisms so that it wouldn't appear as if I was doing that. Uh, covering stories about the Baha'is, that was a very uh, dark red line that if anyone crossed inside the country, uh, they couldn't work anymore. The government was very sensitive about any coverage of the Baha'is who are a religious minority in Iran. Mm. And my last question for you is now being, you know, outside of Iran, but still advocating for equality rights, um, how do you plan on changing the world now or even in the near future? So I am not advocating as an activist. Um, I am a reporter. I consider myself a reporter. I write about what I see uh, objectively. And as an Iranian woman, and as an Iranian mother, I like to see more rights for Iranian women. And I think those rights will come. It's inevitable. It's like, uh, you know, the avalanche is coming and there's nothing is going to stop it. Um, but um, I, I believe uh, that Iranian society and Iranian women are very educated and they are far ahead of uh, the government and the regime. And it went, once Iranian women get the rights that they're asking for, this time it's going to be long-lasting. It's going to be permanent. And no one can take it away from them. That's it for today's episode. Remember to stay positive, stay inspired, and change the world. Bye, everyone.